Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Soundington Media! Hey Brian, what's the farthest you've ever traveled? Well, I've traveled to Europe before. What about you? I traveled to Europe too, with you. Oh my gosh, that's who was following me around. No, we went together. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why do you ask? Well, NASA's Perseverance rover is targeting a landing on Mars on February 18th. And by the time it arrives, it'll have traveled over 280 million miles. That is amazing. You know, the purpose of the Mars 2020 mission is to seek signs of ancient microbial life. Yes, and did you know that the Perseverance rover will collect samples of Martian rock and soil for a possible return to Earth? Can't wait to see what we find. I'm Brian Holden. And I'm Meredith Stepien, and this is Reach, a space podcast for kids. Welcome to Reach, a space podcast for kids. This is a big week for fans of the Red Planet. That's right. NASA's Mars 2020 mission and Perseverance rover is scheduled to land in Jezero Crater, paving the way for new discoveries about one of the fundamental questions of the universe. Are we alone? Jezero is a word that actually means lake in several languages. Cool. Hey, Brian, if you discovered a new crater on Mars, what would you name it? I would name it... The Ray Crater, so I could see what's Brad buried there. That's a sci-fi literature reference. Maybe a little too old for some of our listeners. I don't know it. Yeah, okay. That's that's fine. What about you? What would you name a crater on Mars if you were able to name it? Well, I'd probably name it after my dad. Um, but if not, because I already named it something else after my dad, then I would probably name it Appa after my favorite big fuzzy friend. Aha, from Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. Okay. Well, we asked our Reach listener community, if you discovered a new crater on Mars, what would you name it? Here's what they had to say. My name is Rosie, and I'm five years old. If I discovered a new crater on Mars, I would name it Unicornia. I'm Aaron, and I am four. And if I would name a crater on Mars, I would name it Aaron. A pepper green? I'm not Rummy, you would name it Rumi Rumi? I'm Kira, and I'm 12 years old, and if I were to name a Mars crater, I would name it Kate after my friend. My name is Ocelia, and I'm six years old, and if I were to name a crater on Mars, I would name it Honey because Honey is really sweet, and I love it. Those were such great answers. Thank you so much to Ocelia, Oren, Pepper, Rosie, and Kira. Y'all are great. Thanks, everyone. Launching and cruising to Mars is a feat in itself. And landing on Mars has its own special set of requirements. 
This week on Reach, we were really lucky to meet with Gregory Villar, who's the landing operations lead at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Gregory told us all about EDL, which stands for Entry, Descent, and Landing, and what will happen when the Perseverance rover lands on the fourth planet from the sun. And for listeners looking to follow along with Gregory's explanation of a landing on Mars, visit the link in our show notes for a really cool animated simulation. Ooh, I can't wait. I gotta check that out. Hey, Gregory, welcome to Reach. It's such an honor to have you on the podcast. We're so excited to have you. Uh, So we have a pretty good idea of who you are and what you do, but for anyone who's just joining us, could you just tell us who are you and what do you do? Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I'm very excited to talk to all the kids here. But basically, I'm also a kid, right? Just in an adult body. And I'm living kind of, you know, my dream job working on space missions. Uh, I've worked at NASA for the past 12 years or so, and mostly on robots that that go to the planet Mars, specifically robots called rovers. So these are robots that have wheels and are able to kind of roll around on the red planet. So we have so many questions to ask you about landing on Mars, because that's a huge thing. But uh, let's start by talking about the Perseverance mission. What is Perseverance and what is its main priority? So Perseverance is our next Mars rover that we launched um, last summer in 2020, and it's on its way to Mars. And its main priority or objective are a few things, right? One, we want to continue kind of the search for ancient life. That's always been kind of the holy grail of of exploration, right? We want to see if we're alone, if we're actually alone out there. So Perseverance is going to take the next step there and kind of understand, is there any form of ancient life, microbial life on Mars? Uh, Another thing it's going to do is gather some samples. So kind of, you know, the next thing that instead of like humans going to Mars, another cool thing that we want to try to do is bring samples back from Mars, right? We've never brought anything back from Mars. And so this rover would be basically the first leg of what's called the Mars sample return campaign, where it's a series of missions that would one collect samples like Perseverance will be doing. And then eventually we'll send another mission over to pick up these samples launch them off of Mars, and then send them back to Earth. And one more major priority for the mission is also to demonstrate technology that we could possibly use for future human missions. So I always like to think about the movie The Martian, which I completely love. I actually seen The Martian maybe close to 10 times, listened to the audiobook. And I when I did watch the movie, I watched kind of the pre-edited version as well, right? We got a special screening to that. In any case, you see a lot of cool technology in the movie, The Martian, which is really basically the idea of how we would explore Mars in the future, but we're not quite there yet. And so there are technology demonstrations or instruments on Perseverance, like MOXIE, which is basically an instrument that's designed to convert the Martian atmosphere into O2, oxygen gas. And the idea is that in the future, we can use this oxygen gas for human exploration One, obviously, for humans to be able to breathe, but more importantly, to fuel kind of another vehicle that the humans can use to return back to Earth. Okay, so I think you talked about when it's scheduled to land in February, but what about where? Where is it going to land? Right. So here's a cool thing about Perseverance. You know, as some of our viewers may know, there is a, a rover that we sent called Curiosity back in 2012. And Perseverance is basically kind of the the next um, sibling in this line of rovers that we have from from Earth, and you know, a cool thing about Perseverance is we've upgraded a little bit of our landing technology. So one thing that we have is this 
technology called terrain relative navigation. And that's just a fancy way of saying, basically, we now able to know where we are during the landing sequence and be able to go or divert to a safe spot. Back in the day, you know, when we were trying to go to Mars with previous missions, it was really focused on kind of safety of sites, right? Like you want to go to a flat desert, which is not too hard to land on. And, you know, you're not worried about anything, but we're a little bit more sophisticated nowadays. So with this new technology, we're able to go to more, what I would like to call challenging sites, Mm. but that also means more interesting sites for, for scientists and Perseverance will be going to a site called Jezero Crater which is a very exciting site um, with a lot of great um, geological features that our scientists are excited to visit. So you launched it in July, 2020. But yes, so Perseverance has been traveling since, uh, since July last year. And basically um, we're landing February 18th, 2021. And, you know, uh, the show that will start, people can watch this on the NASA stream, it starts at 11.15 Pacific. But um, entry will be entry, meaning by the time the spacecraft hits the Martian atmosphere, it's going to be around 1230 Pacific. Wow. So when do you actually have to start preparing for getting ready for a landing? Oh, that's a that's a great question. You know, one can say that we've been preparing for, you know, for almost eight years, right? Like it, it's not mm-hmm. just kind of during the cruise to Mars. It's all the work that has gone into kind of the design and the development and the testing and the building here on earth, um, all the way up to launch. But in terms of preparing for the actual landing in space, uh, I would like to say that we started practicing right, right, right after we launched, basically we started kind of building our, um, building our tools and processes and practicing these events. So um, at JPL and NASA or, you know, or even in Hollywood, right. You do a lot of things like dress rehearsals, right. Mm-hmm. So um, same thing here, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar project and we don't want to do things for the first time when it actually happens. Right. So we've had a series of dress rehearsals, what we call operational readiness tests. And our first one was in September. And then I believe we did another one in October. And just last week, we finished our last dress rehearsal. So in that regard, we've completed our dress rehearsals, and now we're moving on to kind of the actual flight activities we need to do before Perseverance gets to Mars. And what that entails is basically, uh, let's see, about a week before entry, we command the rover to say, hey, start your your software that's going to be used for landing. And basically there's an automated software that the rover has such that it does the whole landing experience by itself, right? We don't actually control it uh, during the entry, descent, and landing phase of the mission, or as we most of us refer to it as EDL. Wow. So you're basically from here on earth, pressing a button for the rover to then do everything else. In, in a simple sense, yes. Um, although, you know, it's a much more complicated project, but yes, right. You know, I think I, I usually give a talk, it's called moving the joystick, what it really mm-hmm. takes to operate a rover on Mars. And, you know, people who don't really understand um, or who don't really learn about light time don't get the idea that it's not like a remote control car, right? right. Um, on Earth, if, if you have a remote control car and you push forward, the car in front of you will almost, it may seem almost immediate, the car to react, right? But Earth and Mars, you know, they're very far from each other. And depending where they are in their orbits, it could be anywhere from five to 20 minutes before a signal gets there. Wow. So if you use the analogy of this remote control car, for example, you push forward, 
this car won't go forward for another five or 20 minutes after you say to go forward, right? Wow. And so something like EDL or entry, descent, and landing has to be done by itself, it's fully automated, right? We can't, we can't joystick our way through the atmosphere and all the way down to touchdown. Okay, so after you do tell the rover, hey, it's time to initiate your landing sequence, then what happens? So I sent you guys a link. Hopefully there's a, this diagram here, which I think you know, the audience will be, it'll be easier for the audience to follow along, but I will try to describe this verbally for those who don't have it up. But basically our job on EDL or entry, descent and landing is to get this object that's traveling through space going at close to 12,000 miles an hour down to just zero, near zero in a little under seven minutes. Whoa. And right, yeah, I mean, imagine going that, I can't even imagine how fast that feels, right? But basically it's 12,000 miles an hour. And the first thing we do, as you'll see in a diagram, is this thing called cruise stage separation. So the cruise stage is this little disc structure that is attached to our spacecraft. And the spacecraft is what houses our rover during its journey to Mars. And the cruise stage basically has solar panels and thrusters and different things to get us to Mars. It's kind of like our Uber to Mars, right? So when we get near Mars, we separate from our cruise stage. And um, now that allows us to enter the atmosphere with just the aeroshell or this space capsule. So we enter the atmosphere, traveling at, again, about 12,000 miles an hour. And the first thing we do is we aerobrake. What basically happens is if you think about like you're in a car on a highway, and if you just like let go of the gas without touching the brakes, the car naturally slows down, right? Because of air resistance. And something similar happens on Mars. So we take the spacecraft and we put it through the Martian atmosphere and we slow down through the atmosphere. But as we're doing that, we're generating friction between the spacecraft and the atmosphere. And so that's generating a lot of heat, really, really, like it gets really, really hot. And for that reason, we have actually a heat shield on the front of our spacecraft. You can see it's a, basically the lens cap of this, the spacecraft here. So we're going through the atmosphere, we're slowing down, getting really hot, and then um, start to cool down a bit. And then we go through this thing called entry guidance. This was an, an algorithm, a maneuver that the Apollo capsules use as they re-enter to Earth um, and that we adapted towards uh, Martian landings first on Curiosity. But basically all that means is, you know, we have this spacecraft flying through the atmosphere and we're kind of controlling it to target where we want to eventually land. So we're kind of steering through the atmosphere, kind of like an airplane. And then at some point we deploy a big, big parachute. It's called a supersonic parachute because we deploy it at supersonic speeds. Wow. And at this point, we're traveling at about 900 miles an hour, which is still really fast, right? You don't want to you know, touch the ground at 900 miles an hour. So this parachute opens up. And then when we're about 200 miles an hour or so, we, we basically release our cover, the heat shield. And at that point in time, we have a radar on the spacecraft that measures both velocity and altitude. So basically speed and distance from the ground. When we're at a specific speed and distance from the ground, then we're like, okay, it's safe enough to come down on our jetpack or what we call the descent stage. I like to call it a jetpack, but so the rover has a jetpack on its back and it separates from this whole, you know, spacecraft parachute configuration and it comes down on rockets. Wow. So we call that power descent. And so it's coming down on its own rockets and 
when the when the rover is about 60 feet from the ground, it starts this jetpack lowers the rover on cables. We call this the sky crane configuration. And so this jetpack is kind of hovering, lowering the rover on, and as it's lowering the rover, the rover deploys its wheels, kind of like the landing gear of an airplane before it touched down. And then the rover, you know, slowly gets lowered. And when it softly touches the ground, this jetpack senses that, then it cuts the ropes and it flies away from the rover. Oh. At that point, the rover is, you know, hopefully safely on the ground. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the mission itself, but let's talk about you. Let's talk about your background and interests. What makes you passionate about space? So this might be a cliche, but I've always dreamed about going into space one day. You know, I still have an aspirations of being an astronaut, and this really stemmed from, I guess, two sides. One is just being a nerd growing up, right? I love math and science and stuff like that, but. You know, just the movies, right? I remember uh, there's a few that come to mind, and I hope this resonates with some of our younger audience. And if they don't know these movies, you should go go back in time and watch these movies. But one is Independence Day, which starred Will Smith, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Yeah. And there's this one iconic scene that I still remember to this day. But basically, in the movie, Will Smith and his partner goes gets into a spacecraft and flies into space. And the moment that they break the atmosphere. There's basically a pool of stars that Will sees, and his partner kind of goes to Will and says, "Are you okay?" And he says, "Yes. You you just don't understand. I've been waiting for this my whole life. Wow. You know, and that's always something that I wanted to experience because when you break Earth's atmosphere, then the visibility to space gets much more clear, right? You don't have the atmosphere, all the light pollution here on Earth." Uh, another another thing I like to、um, recall is、uh, Star Trek in the 2000 series. There's a scene where Captain Kirk, basically before he joins Starfleet, where he drives up in his motorcycle to、mm-hmm. the Enterprise while it's being built, and it's such an iconic view to see kind of Kirk wa- drive up to the the starship, and to see the size of the starship relative to him, and for him to kind of realize like, hey, I'm going to be in control of the ship one day, going into space. Like all those type of feelings are really what inspired me to get into space, you know. And so I'm very fortunate enough to kind of landed my dream job, you know, about a decade ago, to be able to work on space missions. And you know, who knows? One day maybe I can go to space myself. But for now, we'll we'll be working on these Mars rovers. I know that we've taken a lot of your time. We're so appreciative of you talking to us.、Uh, before you go. What advice would you give to our young listeners dreaming about a career in space or science? That's a question I get frequently, and there's so much. I guess there's so much I would like to say, but there's two main ones that I think our audience would like. Our audience should consider. One again, another cliche, but you should find something that you love to do. You know, when I I started college early, and my first two years in, I was basically studying accounting pre law. And at one point in time, my I remember my mom and my uncle sat me down, and they basically said, "You know, Gregory, you're a smart guy, and you shouldn't do something that you don't want to do, right?" Yeah, growing up in an、uh, you know in typical Asian family, it's like be a doctor, or be a lawyer, or be something, right?、Mm-hmm. But you know, I really I was really good in math growing up, and I loved science. So at that point in time, since you know I started college early, I was like, okay, well. You know, maybe I, I I don't need to do this law stuff, right? 
what, what's something that requires you to be good in math and has a lot to do with science? And I basically chose physics and I started all over and, you know, I don't regret that because I, I finished my physics degree and I got an internship at NASA and, and now, you know, I get to work at NASA and, you know, after 12 years of being at JPL, it almost never feels like I'm going into work, surprisingly, right? It, I think that's a huge thing that kids should um, kind of appreciate is like, you know, there's a reason why people say, find something you love to do. And I think that's one of the most important things to do, um, you know, as you're progressing through your life. And maybe a second lesson learned is, you know, one big thing to consider as you go through life is that nothing great is ever done alone. So I've worked on two Mars rovers now and on these missions, they're, they're so complicated and so complex. There are literally thousands of people who work on these projects, right? And so you, you gain this appreciation of like, you don't have to go through life alone, no matter what it's about. And it's all about teamwork, right? And never worrying about, you know, asking for help when it's appropriate, right? You know, mm -hmm. if you run into a problem in life, feel free to tackle it by yourself, you know, for a certain period of time. But at some point, there's no shame about, you know, asking for help. Because again, like nothing great is ever done alone. Thank you so much, Gregory, for joining us. It was such a pleasure talking to you today. And I can't wait for our listeners to hear what you have to say. All right. Well, I, I, I absolutely love this interview as well. And I always love talking about space. So feel free to have me back anytime. Yay! Thank you. How cool was that, Brian? Now I really can't wait to watch this rover land on Mars. Hey, Brian, remember when the Mars Perseverance rover launched last year and we were able to chat with Mars itself? I do. Mars seemed excited to have some visitors on the way. Well, we were lucky to catch up with Mars again this week for this week's edition of Did You Know? Hey, Mars. Good to see you or hear you again. Brian, Meredith, it is good to be back. Things here are going really well. It is uh, winter right now. It's, we're having a very mild winter. It's only negative 81 degrees. And I wanted to stop by and share some more facts with you. As a reminder for anyone just joining, did you know that I'm the fourth planet from the sun and am nicknamed the Red Planet? Now you mentioned the Perseverance rover, or Percy as I like to call him, and I wanted to share some of the objectives in sending him to my surface. One, he's looking for habitability. He's going to identify past environments capable of supporting microbial life. And as you know, I love kombucha, so I have a very healthy microbiome. Number two, he's going to be seeking biosignatures. He's going to seek signs of possible past microbial life in those habitable environments. Number three, caching samples. He's going to collect core rock and soil samples and store them on the Martian surface. Number four, preparing for humans. He's going to test oxygen production from the Martian atmosphere, all of which will prepare for human exploration someday. Hey, are you excited for the upcoming Perseverance landing? This is great news for me. Are you kidding? I'm so excited about having a new friend. Uh, you just tell Percy that when he gets here, mi casa es su casa. Anything Percy wants, Percy gets. That's my new rule. Anything he wants to collect, he can collect. I am very generous. You tell him, don't even worry about a thing. Anything he wants to poke and prod and take samples of, he's more than welcome to do it. 
And also, like, when humans get here, please uh, have them bring board games. Uh, I love the idea of just, like, playing board games with new friends and having them over and just having a heck of a time. And if you could have them bring Catan, I hear that's a very cool game. And I would love to just spend a few hours with new friends learning a new board game. And also, I heard that there are movies about me. And if you could have them bring some movies about me... It kind of makes me feel like a little bit of a celebrity. It's very humbling, but also like very exciting. And I kind of feel like a celebrity. So I would love to see the movies about me and, and be able to go like, okay, well, that's true. <laughs> okay, that part they made up. I'd love to just, and just be able to have a laugh with my new friends watching movies about me. <laughs> um, I do have to go now. Um, I want to get the place spruced up a little bit because I'm, I don't want it to be a mess when Percy gets here. I really want to make a good first impression. Okay, Mars. Sounds good. We'll let you get ready. Okay. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Sounds like Mars is pretty excited for the upcoming visit. I like how Mars prepares for visitors. You know, aside from the chilly temperatures, Mars is pretty hospitable. Speaking of visiting Mars, there are lots of ways to get involved from anywhere in the world. Totally. If you're looking to follow along and learn more about NASA's Mars 2020 mission and the Perseverance rover... NASA has a bevy of amazing resources for teachers and students around the world. You can learn more about the countdown to Mars with NASA's Mars 2020 STEM Toolkit. Just visit the links in our show notes for educational animations, technology demonstrations, how to make a Mars helicopter out of paper, a rover out of cardboard, and even learn how people communicate with rovers using the Mars Relay Network. There's so much to learn about Mars. Also, NASA Space Place has an amazing array of interactive games and learning experiences. There's even an Explore Mars game. Again, check out the show notes for links. You know, Brian, I can't believe that we'll actually be able to watch a rover land on Mars. Yeah, but it's kind of scary that we won't know for a few minutes if it actually landed successfully or not. Yeah, can you imagine, Brian, if I texted to ask you if you were okay and it took 20 minutes to get to you and then 20 minutes to get back to me? Yeah, but the whole time I was okay, I was just like in the other room. Yeah, man, I'd get nervous. Hey, we'd like to invite you to try one of our at-home activities. Give it a shot. Build a Mars helicopter out of paper. Grab a photo and post it on social media. Be sure to tag at Reach the Podcast. Thanks for joining us for Reach, a space podcast for kids. We're your hosts, Brian Holden and Meredith Stepien. This episode of Reach was written by Sandy Marshall with Nate DeFort, Meredith Stepien, and Brian Holden. Reach is produced by Nate DeFort and Sandy Marshall, who's a solar system ambassador for NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and edited by Nate DeFort. Our theme song and additional music was composed by Jesse Case. And our logo was created by Stephen Lyons. A big reach thanks to Gregory Villar, landing operations lead at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, for joining us on the episode. Can't wait to watch the landing, Gregory. We'd also like to offer thanks to our friends at NASA Space Place. And to Andrew Good and Kay Ferrari at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Mars was voiced by the great Randy Havens, who you know as Mr. Clark on Stranger Things, and can also be seen in Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and Halt and Catch Fire. Follow Randy on Twitter at Mr. Randy Havens. And as always, a big thanks to the Reach Learning community. That's right. We especially want to thank Ocelia, Oren, Pepper, Rosie, and Kira for their great contributions. Also, Kira just had a birthday. 
Oh, happy birthday, Kira. Happy birthday, Kira. Do you have a question about space that's been on your mind? Let us know. Our bi-weekly segment entitled Reaching Out is our chance to answer your questions. Tune in to Reaching Out next week to find out how you can be featured in an upcoming episode. Hey, Brian, did you know that the universe is over 13.7 billion years old? So older than my favorite sweatshirt. <laughs> Not by much. You should throw that thing out. Okay, you don't need to be rude. <laughs> it's got holes in it. If you're enjoying Reach, be sure to tell your friends and leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice. Or share an episode on social media. And if you'd like to find us online, visit at Reach the Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or on our website, reachthepodcast.com. Reach is a production of Soundsington Media committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to soundsingtonmedia.com. We've all been there. You're standing in a museum, staring at a painting, and all you can think is, I don't get it. To me, knowing the story behind an artwork is a huge part of knowing how to look at it. I'm Amanda, the host of the Art of History podcast, where we view history through the lens of some really great works of art. Each episode, we dive deep into the bigger picture behind some familiar and maybe not so familiar pieces. Check out Art of History now wherever you get your podcasts.